Hello, this is Cindy again with a third Insider's Report on K-12 education. My topic today is school-based therapists. This is a timely topic because this past week our Vice President Kamala Harris announced $285 million will be given to schools to hire mental health counselors. This is the single largest investment in student mental health in history, according to White House official. Now, two things struck me in her speech, that SEL lessons, which stand for social emotional learning, would be given daily, and that this investment in counselors will be the answer to gun violence. Now, having daily SEL lessons is not necessary or practical, and it would replace academic learning. So what subjects would your children be missing out on? Aside from there being too many controversies about SEL lessons, in my experience, they rarely work anyway. For instance, a school can give all the professional, engaging, anti-bullying assemblies they want, but the students keep on bullying. Regarding gun violence, as I mentioned in my second media post, if administrators would be proactive and address red flags about dangerous students, then we might have less school violence. Counselors are not always the answer, because as I also mentioned in my last media post, administrators are the ones who don't always listen or take the appropriate action when they're given warnings by school counselors. Now, getting back to the school-based therapist issue, these therapists are part of the whole school, whole community, whole child model, which is quite a mouthful, or WSCC for short. This model was developed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is commonly known as the CDC. I have to ask why the CDC is involved in schools in this particular way in the first place. There is also a national school-based health alliance that is involved with the implementation of this model. Their aim is to create wellness clinics in schools that will provide all of your child's primary care, mental health, vision services, and oral health needs. I believe the most concerning component of this model is the mental health one, and that's how many schools are beginning. Many school districts are creating contracts with community health agencies. These contracts involve having the agency's licensed therapists come into schools to deliver actual therapy with your children. Now, once again, these therapists are not employed by the schools. They are employed by these outside agencies. This is different from certified school counselors who are employed by the schools and who are not supposed to deliver therapy, but just short-term counseling. Now, I do believe that our certified school counselors should instead be licensed. In Arizona and in most if not all states at this time, school counselors are not licensed by a mental health licensing board. They are merely certified by the Department of Education, similar to how a teacher would be certified. Now the answer is not to bring in licensed therapists employed by a community health agency and have them partner with certified school counselors employed by a school, and I'll explain why. But before I do, as a side note, I like to mention that in Arizona, there is a lawyer named Chris Evans who has petitioned the Mental Health Licensing Board to change this policy of not requiring school counselors to be licensed. And I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome because his Twitter post opened my eyes to this issue. He has recently written about this petition on Twitter 
and this petition carries national significance since it may be the first of its kind. I, I did get permission from Chris to mention this um, petition and his name. Recently, I did my own investigation into school-based therapy. What I found out during this investigation is that in Arizona, and most likely in other states too, when using contracted school-based therapists from community health agencies, there is even more withholding of information from parents, such as whether your child is admitting to some hot topics such as gender identity issues and substance abuse. I was told during my investigation that despite delivering therapy inside school buildings, community health therapists are not mandated to follow school laws. For instance, they say they don't have to disclose information about gender identity or drug use to parents because they're not employed by the schools and should instead follow their agency's protocol. This really surprised me. However, in Arizona, we have a parent's bill of rights that mandates schools and school counselors tell parents that their child is transgender, among other things. I've read that this is true in some other states too. Not that most schools pay attention to this law anyway, but that's another story. There are many articles written about this all, all over the country if you'd like to look for them. Um, also, if you sign a permission form giving a therapist access to your child at school, when that therapist is not on campus, who do you think will be counseling your child? The school counselor, that's right. I discovered through my investigation that the school counselor will not need to check in with a therapist to assure consistency. When I was a school counselor, I worked very briefly at a school that had a school-based therapist visit once every week. I did find it to be confusing to counsel the children on this therapist caseload when she was not there because I didn't know what she was specifically working on. I didn't think that their parents knew I was also counseling them, but I was assured this was all normal protocol. What is alarming is that if a school counselor messes up and doesn't take a suicide threat seriously by your child, who is also being seen by the therapist, the consequences could be really tragic. And believe me, I've seen school counselors not take suicide threats seriously. I wasn't one of them though. In my investigation, I asked whether the school counselor should check in with a therapist if there is a suicide threat by a child on the therapist's caseload. I was expecting to hear yes, but I was told, no, the school counselor would follow usual district protocol for suicidal students. That was pretty shocking to me. I see a real minefield regarding this policy. I was also told that psychiatrists can participate virtually during school-based therapy sessions. A psychiatrist's main function is to prescribe psychiatric medication. I know there's confusion between what a psychiatrist and psychologist do. A psychologist provides therapy after diagnosing a patient, while a psychiatrist prescribes medication after diagnosing a patient. So now we not only have therapy, but we also have prescribing of medication during school hours. Are you starting to see how this works and how it progresses to more and more services? In my investigation, I found out that these community health agencies are telling their therapists that they are given more grace than schools are given to not tell parents about something as serious as substance abuse or use. Even though therapists are also supposed to break confidentiality about anything that will harm their client or another person, so this surprised me also. 
Upon looking at the website for the School-Based Health Alliance, I found that there's a section on brief interventions for substance use or abuse. Parents are not mentioned in this section. There is even a paragraph about identifying a substance use intervention plan. This advice is only supposed to be given with the patient's permission, but what about parents' permission? Therapists are advised to give only a recommendation and suggest follow-up if the patient is willing to come back. But what about whether the parents want their minor patient to come back? What is even worse is that this alliance suggests that if a teen has moderate or severe substance use or abuse, there is still no apparent initial parent participation. After brief intervention to assess the teen's readiness for more intensive services, and I quote, with the adolescent's permission, the provider can proactively connect the adolescent and the family with the appropriate professional or program, end quote. This is the first time family is mentioned. And please note they say family and not parents, which is curious to me. And they suggest getting the adolescent's permission and not parents' permission. This approach is giving minors unbelievably way too much leeway regarding drug use, which is both illegal and harmful, as you know. As a study conducted by Purdue University points out, there are definite downsides to this community school model, such as schools being asked to perform duties that fall outside of their mission of educating students. The Purdue study notes that taking care of a child's mental health is the family's responsibility and not the taxpayer's. There is also a concern that school-based mental health clinics will go too far and invade students' and families' privacy because the school-based therapists might not handle confidentiality and release of information to school employees correctly. These are all good points. Now, we only have to look at the state of Maine for an example of clinics going too far in eroding parental rights. There was a 17-year-old student who came home from school one day in 2023 with an unlabeled bag of Zoloft, which is an antidepressant with a black box warning. Now, let me explain that a black box warning alerts the public that the drug could cause homicidal or suicidal thoughts. Now, the parents knew nothing about their child being given Zoloft, and so they swiftly pulled their child from school. Well, Child Protective Services actually investigated the family because they pulled their child from school. The child's father said he may have signed a consent form in the beginning of the school year for general services, but he didn't think he was giving permission for his child to receive antidepressants without his knowledge. As Georgia attorney Nicole Johnson stated, and I quote, this case in Maine really is everything we worried about. It is almost the worst case scenario. <clears throat> a young person is getting a drug with a black box warning. It doesn't even have a warning label on it. The parents haven't been told, and the drug is in some plastic bag that anybody any other child in the house or their peers could have access to. It could be a very dangerous situation, end quote. Now, having school-based therapists obviously moves my state of Arizona closer to the community schools that are a one-stop shop for all of your children, children's needs. These models are in many states, and some states are further along than Arizona in having fully staffed wellness clinics that service all basic medical and psychiatric needs such as in my example from the state of Maine. Now I worked in Arizona K-12 schools for 20 years, and I did not know that many districts in Arizona have had these school-based therapists for a few years, 
until I recently conducted my investigation. That was very shocking. So parents, please check and see whether your state and your school have started implementing this model. You may be surprised at what you find. Okay, so what is the alternative to school-based therapists? Instead of creating contracts with outside community health agencies, we should hire school counselors who are licensed by mental health licensing boards so that they are accountable. Right now, most are merely certified and not accountable to any mental health board, as I mentioned earlier. We also need to make sure licensed counselors are hired by the school so they must follow school laws regarding disclosure to parents. When they're hired by the agencies, they think they don't need to follow these school laws. Then we need to ensure that these counselors can do their jobs and get suicidal and homicidal students the help they need, unhampered by administrators who do not want the adverse publicity that comes with identifying violent or mentally ill students. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.